Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, thanks for joining us on this episode of American Potential. Before we get started, we got a great episode for you, but before we get started, I want to give you a quick little update on an episode that we did before. You know, we told the story of, uh, of Callan Byram not long ago on this podcast. And he's a young man who lives in Utah and through uh, education savings accounts, he's able to go to a different school. He was being bullied. Went, I think, as I recall, it was five different schools in just a matter of a few years, maybe five or six years, he went to five different schools because he was being bullied and the schools wouldn't really do much about it. And he was able to find a military school that just doesn't tolerate bullying. So this is just, I love this. But I got this email. I was flying through the Dallas airport on Friday, coming back from a a trip to Texas. And I got a text or an email from his mother with a picture, which I I won't share with you. But I'm telling you, I was like, I think I was bawling walking through the Dallas airport. So I, we sent Callan a gift certificate. He likes to hunt. And I, we sent him a gift certificate. I sent him a gift certificate for Cabela's $100 gift certificate. And he went and his mother sent me a picture of him standing with his shopping cart and all of the stuff that he bought. But here's the best part of the email. Uh, his mom, Kimberly Byram, says, hello, Jeff. I wanted to send this to you. Callan finally used the gift card from you yesterday. He got three boxes of shells, three boxes of clay pigeons, two shirts, two beef jerky sticks, <laughs> and a drink. He was in heaven, and he felt like a millionaire. He said that he uh, told the cashier all about the podcast and how nice it was for you guys to do that for him. He also told me to tell you, thank you, that it felt really good to be a part of the show, to let people know that I matter. Now, isn't that awesome? He said, uh, his mom said, I hope you know how much of an impact that had on him. We are all so truly grateful. That's awesome. That's awesome to get that email. I mean, I'm walking through the airport and I'm thinking, man, I don't know. And this picture is is of a, a young man it just makes you smile to see the picture of Callan. And Callan, you know what? You do matter, buddy. You do matter. And someday I'm going to come out to Utah. I want to come out to Utah and go hunting with, with Callan. If I can't go hunting, at least I want to meet you, buddy. So hopefully you'll do me that honor so that I can meet you because you do matter. And what a great story that is. And uh, thanks to Kimberly for sending that along. All right. I want to get to a, a, an, a, an amazing story. We talk about a lot of these things where it just, there, there's things that go on in government kind of behind the scenes that most people don't see, don't understand. And I think our story today is very similar. Most Americans try to save money wherever they can. They have lots of different options. And, and that's one of the great things about America. That means there'll be an option that fits their budget. People shop around, right? Don't you shop around? From picking the store brand over the name brand at the grocery store to driving around to find the lowest gas prices, people save money. 
So what happens when a state takes away all competition on bids for projects? That's happening. Doing away with bids takes away the lowest options for the state to save the taxpayer money. And why would any state want to do that? Doesn't make any sense. But it is happening in a lot of states. And on today's episode, we uh, have as our guest, Eric Bott, who's a regional vice president for Americans for Prosperity. He's going to discuss why some states are doing away with the bidding process altogether. Eric, thanks for joining me. How are you today? I'm well, my friend. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah. So this is this seems crazy. I mean, you know, if I get on to buy anything on the internet, I look and I shop and I, I don't just go to Amazon and order it or whatever. I look and I shop and I try and find the best deal. That should be, that's what I do with my money. That's my expectation that government does it with my money as well. But it seems like that's not the case. Tell us about this and why states are doing this. Well, yeah, Jeff, I think, you know, from American for Prosperity's perspective, we agree with Thomas Sowell, the famed economist, that competition does a much better job at protecting consumers than government. Um, You know, you talk to any economist, there's often a joke. You ask an economist any question, they're going to say, well, on the one hand, this, on the other hand, this. But there is a maxim in economics, and that really is that with monopoly, you get lower quality services and you get higher costs. It almost always happens. It's virtually inevitable. And so, you know, we take great pains in this country to try to protect consumers from monopoly, except in a few areas. And one of those areas that is, um, frankly, almost hopelessly broken right now is in the public utility space. It's, it's electricity. And years ago, for right or wrong, most state governments made the decision to create what's called a natural monopoly. So they said, look, we don't want duplication of generation of power because that would be too wasteful and too expensive. We don't want a lot of duplication of transmission of, of electricity because you would have, uh, you, we don't want power lines all over everyone's yards and all over the place. That would be crazy. So we're going to grant these monopolies. And then we're going to create these things called public utility commissions or public service commissions. They have different names in different states, but these are going to be people appointed or elected to protect consumers, to protect ratepayers, you and me, and businesses, uh, from the, the worst aspects that we know always come with monopoly. Now, what's happened over time, though, is that I think we've fallen victim to a couple of things. One is the incentive structure within our utility sector generally in America is completely broken, and we can get into that today as to how that's really harming uh, citizens and ratepayers all over the country. And number two, uh, regulatory capture occurs. Regulatory capture is is how over time the regulator becomes more um, responsive to the regulated community than to the people they're supposed to be um, operating on behalf of. In this case, the ratepayers, the citizens, you and me. And and so we face that in the utility sector in most states right now. And that's why if you go and take a look at your utility bill in, in for most people in most states and you compare it to this time last year, you're probably seeing an 8, 10, 12, 15 percent increase year over year. And that uh, that's probably up another 10 percent or so from the previous year. And I got bad news. These rate increases that we're experiencing in most states, these double digit increases in our electricity bills, they're not just a one or two time thing. This is probably going to be what we're looking at every year for the foreseeable future, unless some things really change in state policy. So what is it that's driving these rate increases in your mind? Um, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a fundamentally broken incentive structure where in most states, uh, public utilities are incentivized not to control costs 
but actually to do quite the opposite, to overbuild. Um, and that's because of a variety of factors. Um, but one of the big ones is called uh, a return on equity, but we actually have in the utility sector in many states a guaranteed profit margin. And so when the state guarantees you a profit margin, in this case, it's often in the 10% range. It might be a little lower, it might be a little higher, depending on the state, the type of project. Um, but in the 10% range, boy, that sounds pretty good. I mean, look at your 401k lately. Are, are you are you even making any money? I'm not. I'm losing money. I'm losing right. money, Jeff. Yep. And yet we've got an entire sector here that government's guaranteeing large profits to if they're building, if they're building and having large costs. So that's a fundamentally broken incentive structure. Now we have these public utility commissions, these public service commissions in place in states to be a check on that. But like I said, all too often, um, you see sort of a revolving door where you have um, a very close relationship between these commissions and, and the public utility lobbyists uh, and, and whatnot. And so I don't think we're seeing the protections that we, um, we, we really need to see, frankly, uh, at this point in time, and, and some reforms are probably needed. Now, to get more specific, there is uh, sort of a national trend that's really dubious going on right now um, that has the potential to dramatically increase utility bills for the foreseeable future. And that's a series of bills being pushed in about a dozen states this year. Uh, and it has they're called ROFR bills, the right of first refusal bills. And what that is, Jeff, is um, one, of the, one of the last areas where there's still competition in the public utility sector in America is in the construction of large transmission projects. These are the power lines you might associate uh, with like highways. You'll see them on the side of the highway. They're really large. They're typically going from a large power generating facility to an urban area. And they often cost uh, hundreds of millions of dollars and in many cases, billions of dollars. We're talking about very significant investments here. Our country is on a building spree right now with these largely as a result of, of building and investing heavily in solar uh, technology. Um, and there's, there's plenty of issues to talk about with that, if we could get into that at, at some, other some other time. But, but by and large, we're building a lot of uh, solar generating facilities, typically in rural areas where land is affordable. We have to somehow get that power to the urban areas where people live and, and, and people use it. And so we're, we're on this, this building spree of these huge, incredibly costly transmission costs. Those are one of the big factors driving up utility bills uh, right now and for the foreseeable future. So there's there's remains in most states competition, competitive bidding for these projects. That's really important. We'll give some examples on that. Um, but, but we've seen the public utilities come forward and say in a lot of states, including Wisconsin, um, they passed this in Michigan. They've been trying to fight for it in Missouri and Oklahoma, Kansas, Mississippi, uh, you name it. There, there are battles all over this country over this right now. But we see incumbent utilities, that's the local monopoly, saying, we don't want competition. I don't want any other companies coming into my state and actually trying to do the consumers a good job, to lower costs, uh, to provide a better deal for us, the ratepayers. We want to be able to charge whatever we want to charge, and we want to get all the profits, and we don't want to have to compete for it. And so that's where this, this legislation called ROFR, right of first refusal, comes from. It's incumbent utilities, your local monopoly saying, we don't want any competition on this last little area where <laughs> we don't already have total monopoly control. Right. So, so really, this is being pushed by the utility companies, their lobbyists in state capitals and other places. And their argument is, you know, that we've already invested a lot and, and you know, those sorts of things. But, but there's nobody there in a lot of cases to, to speak for the ratepayer, for the taxpayer. Is that right? Well, that's absolutely right. In, in, in a typical state, the public utilities are the most powerful or in, certainly on that top five list 
of the most powerful and influential uh, lobbying entities. They, um, they carry a lot of weight. They typically hire a lot of contract lobbyists. They have a lot of in-house lobbyists. They donate huge sums of money um, in hard dollars directly to candidates in their campaign committees and in soft dollars to, to PACs that are associated with candidates. And they're completely bipartisan about it. The utility sector gives massive sums of money uh, almost equally to both parties. And so um, they, have, they have a tremendous amount of influence, a tremendous amount of weight within state capitals, and they're typically used to getting what they want. It's also an area of the law that's incredibly opaque. It's dry. They almost have their own vocabulary. And so it's incredibly difficult for an average citizen, and even, frankly, a legislator or a legislative staffer, to wrap their, their sort of head around how public utility policy works, how the incentive structures work, uh, and these various things. And so it, 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 by and large, has allowed for this regulatory capture I mentioned to occur over time, and it's leading to the policies uh, that we see today that are driving very high uh, utility prices now. And, and like I said, if, if legislation like these right of first refusal laws passed, we can expect our utility bills to go up even further for the foreseeable future. Well, and you talked about... Uh, the utility commissions particularly, and it's a lot like boards and commissions in general, right? That if you have a, a board of barber, uh, you know, overseers or something in a state, who gets on that? It's it's barbers. It's, uh, it's people who don't want competition. Who typically gets on these utility commissions? That a lot of times they're either former power executives or someone in the industry, but there's almost never, you know, rate payers who are represented by members on these utility uh, commissions. Am I right? Uh, absolutely. You know, it's funny, Jeff, when I started working in um, energy policy 15, 20 years ago, there were sort of natural checks in place. There were typically you'd have um, Democrats would appoint people from the environmental movement, environmental mm -hmm. lobbyists. And uh, Republicans would appoint uh, people from the utility sector, and they would kind of duke it out um, because their interests were in conflict at that time. That's really changed. And uh, today, you see those interests are largely aligned. The utilities, like I said, have uh, an incentive structures in place in most states that incentivizes utilities to build new uh, constantly building new power, new project, looking for new ways to capture that return on equity, that guaranteed profit. And of course, the environmentalist uh, groups, the environmental left, they have their own motivations to push for these new projects. And so you've lost that check um, uh, that, that I think did exist at one time in, in a lot of states. And so now you have sort of uh, the free reign of these special interests, um, all but the rate payers, the average citizen, the small business owner, the small manufacturer who may use a lot of uh, electricity. Um, you know, in a state like Wisconsin, where I'm at, this is just uh, an incredible threat to our economy. We're, we're a manufacturing state. We have a tremendous uh, foundry industry. We, we make things. We build things out of steel and iron. We, we brew. We, we process. We grow and process food here. Um, and these are all industries that utilize a tremendous amount of, of energy. And we're slowly becoming uncompetitive as a result of energy policies that are driving up rates. Well, and you talked about maybe this used to be a check. There used to be kind of an environmental check and they would duke it out. But but in a lot of cases, these utility companies have bought into, because of the subsidies and other uh, mandates and things that company or that government has put in place here, they've kind of bought into that agenda, whether it's the green energy stuff, solar, uh, wind power, those sorts of things. They, they're full bore into that. So there isn't that check anymore on these utility commissions, as you say. That's that's correct. And 
I mean, I, I, I hate to walk out too much and put your guests to sleep, but I want, I want people to understand we're getting a raw deal. In fact, one of the biggest areas in American public policy today uh, where con- regular consumers, you and me, are getting a raw deal is in utility policy. And so it's important to understand these things. They're, the, the incentive structures just are fundamentally broken. So, you know, one of the other big issues we talk about in, in the utility space is called stranded assets. Now, imagine in your state 20 years ago, your public utility built a large coal plant and they said it's going to last for 30 years and you, the ratepayer, are going to pay for it for 30 years. But now 20 years in, they're going to close that plant. They're going to close it early, even though it has 10 years of viability left where it can produce reliable, low-cost, affordable power. They're going to close it and they're going to replace it with with intermittent, unreliable solar power. Mm -hmm. So now you're on the hook, not just to build the new solar plants, but to build the new transmission lines to connect the solar plants Mm -hmm. to your home. And you're on the hook to keep paying, in most cases, for that stranded asset, that coal plant that's closed. And don't forget the utilities get their return on equity. So they're going to get a guaranteed profit on top of that. So the whole structure, the whole system is almost rigged. Uh, it's, It's the opposite of any other business model we think of, where the business has incentives to look out and get the best deal for the customer so they can keep that customer. In this case, not only do we have monopolies who don't have to worry about losing customers in most states, they're actually incentivized to drive up costs in many cases. Mm -hmm. And so the whole system is fundamentally broken. That's why I think we're seeing these rate increases at, you know, 8, 10, 12% every year in so many states. Um, And and, and it's really weak, you know, you think about what this does long-term to a manufacturing economy, to the types of businesses that employ so many of us and and really make our country strong. Um, It's a genuine threat and it's something we really need to start taking seriously and addressing. Well, and to our country, think of the competitiveness of our country as, as other countries probably laugh at us because we're doing this and they're just driving forward and, and understanding that energy, the ability to consume energy drives an economy. And so, you know, our, our competitors around the world are kind of laughing uh, at us uh, from that standpoint. How do we stop this? What, what can be done to stop these, these, this, these right of first refusal uh, issues in states? So, they, they start off as David versus Goliath type fights, right? You've got to organize regular rate pairs and small businesses and people that are impacted. You've got to educate them about a really obscure and kind of wonky, complicated regulatory issue. But then once you do that, um, you stand a good chance to, to, to fight back and win because the policy on its face is just so fundamentally wrong. I mean, this is a policy designed that by limiting competition, it will drive up costs for everyone else in the state to benefit a select few, the shareholders of utility companies. Um, it is, it, it, in many ways, it's, it's wealth redistribution in reverse. It is taking money from, from business and from the middle class and from the working poor and transferring it to the shareholders of the companies that are pushing it. And, and so as you call that out, um, you know, people start paying attention and they start caring about the issue. You can also point to real world examples. You know, we have, uh, thankfully, Wisconsin, or I shouldn't say Wisconsin, but all of America, we're, we're a laboratory of democracy, as it said. And so there's different policies in each state. Some states have competition. They have competitive bidding for transmission projects. Some don't. Those states that have competitive bidding, we see case after case where huge sums of money are saved. I mean, I can point, there was recently a, a, a project in Maine where over a billion dollars, a billion dollars was saved on a single project. In New Jersey, there was a project where competitive bidding saved $900 million. Um, We're not talking about pennies here. We're talking about really substantial sums of money. I think that's why we see some of these utility companies lobbying incredibly aggressively for this. The the amount of money they stand to make should these bills pass is is off the charts. And they're fighting hard and they fight very aggressively. But we can fight back. Um, 
And so, you know, in the case of, say, Wisconsin or Missouri uh, or Kansas or Oklahoma, where Americans for Prosperity has organized activists and educated lawmakers about this, we've been able to block these bills. Um, it takes a tremendous effort. Like I said, the utility lobby is very powerful. They're very influential. And these are tough issues to wrap your head around. But once you get people fired up and to understand that there are reasons their electricity bills are going up and that mm-hmm. we can educate, we can, we can, the people, we can educate policymakers and their staff and change their minds about these things, you can make a big difference. So I'll give an example, you know, in Kansas, for instance, um, this, this legislation, right of first refusal was introduced earlier this year, wasn't really going anywhere, um, but the utilities play hardball. And in Kansas, uh, it's, it's legal for lobbying entities to provide a certain amount of uh, gifts, I, I guess I would say, to, to legislators. And after key legislators were taken to uh, Kansas City Chiefs playoff games and the Super Bowl, lo and behold, the bill started moving. Nothing illegal about it. I would argue sure. very unethical. Right. Um, but suddenly the bill started moving. But it was, a, it was a groundswell of phone calls and office visits from regular citizens educated and organized by Americans for Prosperity that killed it. And that bill's dead in Kansas. And it died in Oklahoma. And it died in Montana. And the common theme there is grassroots activism. Citizens educating themselves and taking the time to engage with their elected officials and holding them accountable. It can make all the difference. Um, and, and I'll tell you, Jeff, the other way we're fighting this, which is which is just fascinating to me, is in the courts, um, both at the state level and at the federal level. Um, I'll give an example here of a state that passed this a couple years ago, and that's the state of Iowa. This bill, the Rofer bill, was introduced. It died in committee because, as we've just talked about, it doesn't make any sense. There's no reason <laughs> for it. All it does is make everything in life more expensive for you and me. And it, it helps some shareholders make a little bit bigger profit. There's no public case for it. And so it died, right? But on the last day of session, around five in the morning, it was attached to the must-pass appropriations bill. Mm. And it was done so illegally, Jeff. Um, and so uh, some good folks uh, sued in Iowa. They brought it to the Iowa Supreme Court. And about a month ago, the Iowa Supreme Court just savaged the Rofer bill. They struck it down. I want to read their, their decision here because it's so sure. remarkable The Iowa Supreme Court saying this, not my words, we are not surprised the Rofer lacked enough votes to pass without log rolling. The the provision is quintessentially crony capitalism. This is rent seeking. Protectionist legislation is anti-competitive. Common sense tells us that competitive bidding will lower the cost of upgrading Iowa's electric grid and that eliminating competition will enable the incumbent to command higher prices for both construction and maintenance. Ultimately, the Rofer will provide higher costs on Iowans. The Iowa Supreme Court got it right. They struck it down, and that's no longer the law of the land in Iowa. And we've seen the same thing happen at the federal level because Rofer laws violate what's called the Dormant Commerce Clause. And so recently, uh, Texas's Rofer law, which which had been in place for a couple of years, uh, was brought before, I believe it was the Fifth uh, Circuit Court, and they struck it down uh, just as aggressively and assertively as, as Iowa uh, did at the state level, saying this indeed is, is uncompetitive, anti-American, and absolutely unconstitutional. States don't have the power to ban uh, companies from crossing state lines and competing for, for projects. This is just uh, damaging to consumers uh, and, and not right. And so we can fight it. So far, we're fighting it on two fronts, really. Oh, the grassroots front, defeating it in state legislatures, and the, and the second front is in the courts, where thankfully we've had, had some success as well. Yeah, that's great. And you know, this this is an issue that is being decided. These utilities commissions are not used to public pressure, right? They're not elected officials, so they're just not used to getting a lot of public comment. So I imagine just a little bit of cage rattling usually gets their attention. 
in in some of these uh, some of these cases, but exposing on the on the legislative side, exposing the relationships between some of these legislators, as it sounds like was done in Kansas with, you know, with some of these uh, lobbyists and others is also enlightening and, and, a, and a great tactic to use. So how can people, if they want to do this or they see this happening in their state, what's the best way for them to get involved? Uh, you know, Americans for Prosperity provides an excellent platform for this. We're almost built for this because, it, it, like I said, this is this is tough public policy. It's complicated. Uh, it's opaque, almost intentionally so. And so, you know, you got to kind of bring together the policy chops to analyze this stuff and kind of figure it out and provide the platform for, for citizens to, to mobilize and empower themselves to take action on this. So, you know, you can obviously go to americansforprosperity.org, our website, and check it out and find out how to get involved there. Uh, you, can, you can certainly send, shoot me an email, ebot at afphq.org, and I'll forward it on to the appropriate person in your state. Um, but, but however it may be, get involved and, um, and educate yourself about what's happening in the public utility sector. I think it may disgust you a little bit, uh, but you'll come to realize this is an important space that we don't pay the attention to that it deserves. We don't, we don't look at it the way we look at taxes or education or a lot of other public policies. Uh, and that's, that's to our detriment um, you know, as citizens and, and frankly to our entire country's economy. Yeah, you mentioned too the federal courts have, have stepped in when, when they've uh, been sued in federal court that, that they've, uh, they've had some favorable court action. Is that something that, that can continue here is just kind of in the federal court system? Can Congress play a role here? So there's a couple of things that can happen here. Um, at the federal level, utilities are regulated by an entity called FERC. And they're the entity that initially created, like allowed for and encouraged this type of competition as a means of bringing down costs. And so they have a role to play. And believe me, the battle is happening behind the scenes at FERC as we speak as well, where you have utilities going in and trying to fight and change things so that they can have less competition. Um, so the battle's playing out there. There's certainly a federal role to play. Um, and, and, and it will continue to play out in the courts. Um, like I said, we had a very successful appellate uh, ruling uh, out of a Texas case. Uh, that may make its way up to the Supreme Court for them to ultimately decide as to what the, the law of the land is for the country here. Um, we'll see how that goes. But what this on the federal side, one of the interesting things about this right of first refusal issue is sort of the, bipart- the oddly bipartisan opposition to it. Um, and I mentioned the Texas case, but if we back, if we go back a few years when President Trump was still in office, his Department of Justice went to Texas when their legislature was considering this terrible law, and they said, this is illegal, this is unconstitutional, and it's horrible for consumers, do not do this. Very unusual for a federal Department of Justice to weigh in like that uh, with state policy, but President Trump's Department of Justice fought this thing hard. They, they lost, but uh, they turned out to be right. And at the end of the day, they won the long, the long game, which was uh, what we saw in the court ruling. Similarly, the Biden administration has been very critical of this type of, of proposal for different reasons. But they also know that this is, hor- this is bad policy for consumers. So it's one of those odd, very odd, very unusual um, ideas that's so toxic that both President Trump's administration, Joe Biden's administration, both have, have called this out as being something that's really harmful to consumers. Yeah, it is very harmful to consumers. And that's what's kind of shocking about it. You, you almost wonder, well, well, then why are states passing this? But again, I think it's the cozy relationship, right, between the, uh, the, the, the regulators, the public utility companies, and the legislators. Is, is, I mean, is that, it's just kind of that simple, isn't it? 
It's, yeah, it's a perfect example of regulatory capture. Um, and, you know, in fairness, this is really complicated policy and it's really hard. And uh, a lot of times only, the, you know, the, the first, second and third person coming into a legislator's office to talk to them about uh, utility policy are people from the utility lobby. And, the, and they're informing them, um, but they're also kind of creating their mental models around it. And so that, ha- that has uh, effects long term as to how, you know, policymakers view this type of stuff in the country. And there aren't that many organizations like Americans for Prosperity on the other side of things trying to stand up for the little guy. There, there, there might be a citizen utility group in a state. Um, sometimes those are co-opted as well by the utility industry itself. So it, there, there's a real avenue here, I think, for grassroots folks on both left, right, and center to all jump in here um, and, and start paying attention and organizing and taking action. All right, Eric. Well, hey, thanks for thanks for your expertise on this and for sharing it with us. And and for all the great work that, that you've been doing on this for many, many years. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this issue. All right. Well, listen, I mean, this is the greatness of America. This is why our founding fathers were so brilliant to put checks and balances in our system, watchdogs. But you know what? It only works if you watch. It only works when there is a watchdog. And we see that all the time in government. If you don't pay attention as a citizen, to what's going on at your legislature, or you don't pay attention at what's going on in a public utility commission, bad things can happen. But when you shine a little light on what's going on there, it can make all the difference in the world. And I mean, literally billions of dollars are at stake, uh, as Eric pointed out, if people just sit by and do nothing. So it's incumbent upon all of us to stand up and make sure that our voices are heard. Hey, thanks for joining us. On this episode of American Potential, we appreciate it. Please connect with us. Feel free. Send me an email, jeff at americanpotential.com. Would love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting americanpotential.com.